If you can remain standing as you're able for the reading of our word this morning. Be reading out of the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now, standing there were sticks, stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them to the brim. He said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So Jesus' first miracle is to keep the party going. And when you think about the, the type of miracle that you would expect from Jesus at the very beginning, uh, changing water into wine maybe would not be the miracle that you would think the Son of God would use uh, to sort of announce his arrival on earth, right? Now, to reveal himself to his disciples. Uh, you would expect maybe uh, the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, that's a little bit more dramatic. Um, maybe the healing of the lepers or the he- healing of paralyzed or blind people later on in the Gospels. Um, to sort of announce the, the healing, the life, the, 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 the power that, that Jesus brings into the world. But no, we get, we get wine. And really, it's, it's kind of an odd request, right? So um, as they run out of wine at this wedding, um, who th- kind of thinks around and says, maybe Jesus can help us out with this? But that's exactly where they turn. And so, as I was reading the scripture this week, I thought about all the weird uh, miracles, all the weird prayers that, that I've prayed to God that, that maybe didn't seem the most important at the time. How many of y'all have ever done this? Um, you get to a point in your life that your gas tank is just as empty as your bank account. And I've done this several times. That miraculous prayer of sitting in the driver's seat, holding on to the wheel, closing your eyes, going, Lord, when I open my eyes, that gauge is going to move from empty to full. And I will give you all the praise and glory in the world. And then I open my eyes. And it's never happened yet. But I'm going to keep trying. Now, other prayers, some of y'all might relate, if you've ever had um, a project, a presentation, if you've ever had an exam or a test that comes up, um, that, that maybe you, you maybe could have used some more preparation. You maybe could have used a little bit more time studying. Uh, but you just say, dear God, if these words can lift from the book into my mind for the next hour, that's all I need to give you all the praise and glory of this presentation. Now, I'm not sure that's ever worked with me. If it has for you, 
your exams were a lot better than mine were. But I've always had a, a misunderstanding or at least um, just a wrestling in my faith when it comes to miracles. So much so, in fact, uh, when I was in college, I had a week where I served as a counselor at this church camp over in Anniston, Alabama. It was at Camp Lee. It was called Petra Camp. Uh, my first year of college, I just graduated high school, and I was fixing to go to college, and it was kind of right into that, that summer in between the two that I volunteered as a, as a church counselor, and I was really kind of taking on my faith in a new level that way. So I was going to be moving out of the house. I was going to be kind of taking this new uh, direction in my life. And what, what was my faith going to look like now that I was pretty much on my own, right? I'm kind of kicking the tires of my faith, kind of testing it out and seeing what it's all about. And so I asked Jesus. In fact, I, I challenged God in that week. I said, God, I want to see a miracle, have any of y'all ever been so bold to ask for a miracle? I wanted to know whether God was still in the miracle business. And so through that week, I decided I would pay attention more closely to see a miracle if God would answer that challenge that week. And it started off a little bit slow at first, almost to the points that I saw things that amazed me, but still a skeptic was like, I don't know if that would classify as a miracle. The natural things that, that many of us are, are moved by uh, in so many ways, sunrises, sunsets, um, an animal that, that crosses your path and acknowledges you in a way that you realize that that must have meant something. God is seeing or noticing me today in some way. And those filled my heart, but, but I was still challenged whether that really counted as a miracle. And then later on in the week, we had a, a camper-counselor volleyball game. Now, if any of y'all have ever been to a, a summer camp of some kind where you have campers and counselors versus each other, uh, y'all, it gets pretty cutthroat. I'm not going to lie. And the counselors had never lost this particular volleyball game. They would do whatever they could. These, these Christian pillars of God would crush those campers in an instant in order to win, right? But towards the end of the game, probably uh, the smallest kid who was maybe even at the camp rotated into the game on the camper side to serve the ball. And y'all, when I say this kid was small, the ball was probably about half the size of him. Now, for those of you that have heard me tell this story before, uh, the ball gets larger and larger every story. And the kid gets smaller and smaller, right? But you could just tell all of the anxiety and all the weight of the moment and all the pressure that this kid was carrying with him into this time of being able to serve uh, in front of all the other campers, uh, not only people in his grade, but people in other grades as well, uh, in front of all the counselors, um, that this moment had the ability to just crush him. He so desperately, you could tell, did not want to embarrass himself in this moment. And as he was kind of preparing to serve the ball, had it in his hand, kind of getting used to the weight and the size of it, uh, I began to hear some, some whispering. That was to either side of me and that was to behind me. And I found out that the whispering was actually prayers. 
prayers that the counselors were praying for this kid. That he would have a victorious moment that he would never forget. That he would be successful right here in this moment. And that prayer had all sorts of other words to it. It had all other sorts of sounds to it. But you could tell in that moment, they were praying for this kid to have a moment he would never forget. And I feel like at this point in my life, this this memory is all in slow motion up to this point as well. As this kid heaved the ball up into the air, wound up with whatever power he could muster, and hit just this beautiful arching serve over the heads of everybody, over the net, and into the back corner of the court for just a beautiful and a perfect ace. And y'all, the camp just exploded with cheers and excitement and just an overcoming sense of you knew that kid did something he is probably never going to forget. In fact, I hope that he's preaching a sermon this morning about that very thing as well. And that was the moment that I realized God does incredible miracles still. But oftentimes, they're invisible miracles. They're miracles that we don't pay attention to all the time because they don't seem to change the world. But they changed that kid's world that day. And it finally culminated in the last full night of this camp the counselors get to go up with their youth and serve them communion. And we're in this big open space, and it it came to be the time that I led my students up to the altar rail. And the students got down, and they knelt at the very front of the worship space. And I went behind the altar to get some bread and to get the the cup of juice. And uh, I handed the juice to uh, the other counselor that was with me. And I went down to the front of the altar rail to start giving them the bread. And I noticed there on the edge of the altar rail uh, was another uh, chunk or loaf of bread. I didn't know why the bread was there. I don't know who put it there. Uh, But I realized that's probably not where it needed to stay. And so I took the bread, I added it to my plate, and I went along the line and just kept giving them the bread that I had. And so after I was done, I turned around And I took the bread and I took the cup up to the two uh, preachers, the pastors that were there. And I I gave it back to them. And I said, um, I found some extra bread on the altar rail. Uh, I don't know where it came from, uh, but I left it here on the plate for you. And I handed it to them. And they gave me this really weird look. And I just went about my night. Uh, Kids went back to their cabins. I went to sleep. And I woke up the next morning and I came down to breakfast And one of the other preachers that I gave the bread to the night before came and sat down across the table for me at breakfast and said, do you realize what happened last night? At this point, I had no idea what he was talking about. And he said, when you brought us that loaf of bread, we had been praying that something would change because we realized we did not have enough bread to make it through the night. And we just finished praying that God would somehow provide when you came and presented us with that other loaf of bread. And y'all ever have that Holy Spirit moment where it just kind of washes over you? 
you just kind of get that sense of that was a God moment that you just can't deny and you can't escape. Nobody else in that room realized that a miracle happened except me who picked it up from the altar rail and the preachers in the back that I handed it to. Miracles are so often these invisible works of God that reveal something greater about God's kingdom. The scripture reading that we read today is one of the most iconic stories in the Gospels, uh, not only because it tells the story of Jesus' first miracle, but it tells the first truth about God's kingdom as well. And it comes in a way that we don't expect. It comes in a way that we're not really ready for, turning water into wine. And that's okay that it's a little odd because Jesus wasn't ready for it yet either. He was just coming as an invited guest to this wedding. And then his mother comes up to him and says, they're about to run out of wine. Jesus, can you do something about this? And Jesus says, woman? Which, I gotta admit to you, if I call my mother woman, I might need to get her drunk at the end of the night and help her forget too. But he said, what concern is this to me? Why do you even care about this? But Mary's really the miraculous one, right? She's really the one who's persistent to where she realizes, boy, I ain't even going to listen to you. She talks directly to the servants and just says, do whatever he says. Get whatever he needs. And you just, you almost get a sense, uh, for those of you that have kids, just this epic eye roll that Jesus might have given Mary right here at this moment of realizing that there was no way he was going to get out of this, right? So he tells them to take six stone jars, 20 to 30 gallons a piece. And he tells them to fill them up with water. Fill them up all the way to the brim so they're almost overflowing. And they do it. And then he tells them to dip some of the water and to take it to the chief steward, to the one who's in charge of this feast. And when you taste that water, and instead of something bland and something ordinary, taste something rich and deep and abundant, something that blows him away. What's incredible about it is Jesus doesn't even get the credit. It's an invisible miracle right from the very beginning. They give credit to the bridegroom, they give credit to the family, to the host. And the only people that know what happened is Jesus and his mama, the servants, and the disciples. It's nothing flashy. It's it's nothing that changes the world. But it changed the world for somebody that night. And it teaches one of the deepest and first truths about the kingdom of God is that when it comes to the blessings that God pours out, when it comes to what Jesus does for us, there is no inferior quality about it. There is no second hand. There is nothing that's, that's, that's a low quality. It is only blessing and abundance and richness of the depth that comes with the love and the mercy and the joy of God. When God pours out his blessings upon us, we only experience the greatness and the fullness of all that God can possibly give us. Jesus doesn't do anything secondhand or second quality. And if Jesus can take water 
that's filled up in clay jars and turn it into something that's amazing and is rich and abundant. Just imagine what he can do for us. As we read in 2 Corinthians last week that we are those clay jars filled up with the invisible things of God but filled up with the power and the life of God. And if God transforms water into wine, just imagine what he wants to transform us into. Life and hope to be dipped out and poured out for this world in incredible and rich ways. We are filled up with an invisible life, an invisible blessing of the life of God in order to make that visible for the world. And that's really what miracles are all about. To take the invisible things of God and make them invisible for the world. And the truth that comes out of this particular gospel today is you are that miracle for the world. You are the invisible, the hopeful, the lovable, the joyful life of God poured out and made visible for the world. And be ready to be spooned out and fed and drank from this world to taste of the things of God and see that they are good. As we talk about stewardship through this month, we realize that oftentimes that comes uh, with conversations about dollar signs and budgets and ministry plans. Uh, But today, uh, stewardship is about what God is pouring into you. What God is doing in your life as well. If you had a chance when you came in today, uh, did any of y'all receive a little bag with a jar that was in it? So I want to tell you a little bit about this jar and what you're going to be able to be able to do with your family or by yourself over this month and through this next year. We have this image that we are these jars of clay. And I couldn't find clay jars on Amazon, so you got glass ones. But your jar right now should be empty. It's filled up. It's representative of all those invisible gifts and graces and fruits that God pours out upon us, uh, that God gives us, that we are filled up with and able to make visible to be poured out for the world. So right now, you have an empty jar. I've put a couple things in mind that we'll talk about in just a second. And you've got a small slip of paper. On one side of the paper, it shares the nine fruits of the Spirit. Those nine invisible things uh, that grow inside of us and come pouring out of our lives as faithful disciples, as followers of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit. That love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those nine fruits of the Spirit that grow inside of us, that oftentimes are those invisible blessings and fruit that God grows in our lives, but we make those miracles visible, right? We make those gifts and that fruit visible for the world, and we pour out encouragement, we pour out strength and conversation and relationship and love and mercy, and we put some action and we put some skin and bones on those things of life and make them visible for the world. So if you take this piece of paper and you consider any of these nine fruits, what is a commitment that you can make through this next year to focus just on a couple of these? What are the fruits that you would like to commit to make visible in the world this year? Maybe it's love, maybe it's joy, maybe it's peace or faithfulness or kindness or self-control. And you have a chance to go through your home or through your workplace or just walking around on your daily walk and to find small little tokens that will remind you of some of those things that you can add to your jar to remind you of making the invisible things of God visible in your journey of faith 
this next year. So a couple things that I have in my jar. Uh, one, I got at a leadership conference um, this uh, about two weeks ago, and I had no idea what I was going to do with it until I realized, oh, God wants me to put it in my jar. So there you go. It's a little party popper that I have not exploded yet. But I've had this sitting on my desk for two weeks, not, not thinking about what I was going to do with it yet, except I was going to try to eventually scare a staff member, but I can buy new ones for that. That's cool too. But as I was looking at it, it reminded me of joy, of celebration, of how I want to be somebody that makes things joyful this next year. That even when things are difficult, even when things are hard, I want to be one who presents a life of joy to others and does things that help others to feel joy. So I took joy and I put it in my jar. Then another thing that I found was a small piece of glass. And a small chunk of glass um, I found on the street in downtown Birmingham in the Civil Rights District when I was doing um, a walk through with a bunch of other pastors during many of the protests that was happening in Birmingham. Um, and through all the unrest, uh, through all the protest, and uh, through um, all the difficulties that we experienced, I found this piece of glass. And I, I don't know what was significant about it at the time, but I picked it up. And so this glass, for me, reminds me to try to be an agent of peace, to be one who brings people together, uh, to one who brings calmness and uh, has a non-anxious presence as I come into situations that are so often out of control, uh, that are so often uh, so disorienting for us. So peace. I have a small bit of glass that reminds me of peace. And then the one other thing, I've got a couple other things in here, but the one other thing that I'll, that I'll share with you is a quarter. And the reason why I put a quarter in was um, I initially was going to put a penny in. And the more that I thought about it, I wanted to pour myself out more than just a penny this year. And the quarter for me represents self-control. Because for me, tithing was not a regular discipline of my faith when I was growing up. Uh, I came from a family that pretty much uh, we just gave like one or two dollars when it kind of came through in the offering plate. Um, And that's great um, if that's what we could do. But the reality is, is I could have done a lot more. I gave the least of what I could. And now I want to be able to have the discipline and self-control in my life to make a commitment to God uh, with the gifts that God has given me in my life. And so the way that I'm going to do that is uh, through my tithing, through my offering this next month. And again, this is my jar. This is going to be different from your jar. Uh, But what are those three or four fruits of the Spirit that are invisible blessings that God pours into your life that you would like to make visible this year and commit to be able to pour out for others. So fill your jar up. um, Put it in a place that you're going to see it. Uh, You can carry it around in your car. You can put it on your desk at work. Uh, You can keep it on the mantle at the house um, as a place that reminds you of ways that you can be poured out and made rich for the life of God and the world. So those are a gift uh, to each family this year as we go into stewardship of making uh, the invisible generosity of God that God has given us with these fruits of the Spirit, with these miracles that God pours out into the world. And we have the joy, we have the calling uh, to make those visible and hope and life for the world. 
as the band comes up to, to close out and worship today, we have an opportunity to pray. Uh, to pray for God to uh, show us how we can make the invisible things visible. To show us how we can be filled up to be ready to be poured out for this world. So as we prepare to kind of close out and worship today, let's pray before we get ready to go. Almighty and gracious God, we give you thanks. Because you're the God who showed us, uh, Lord, that there is no shortcoming in your kingdom. There is no inferior quality, Lord. There is no second class. Uh, There is only grace and life and mercy that you pour out as abundantly as we have ever experienced in this life. And Lord, as you are willing to change water into wine, uh, change us into something that's life-giving for this world. Help our life to become something that pours out your grace and your gifts and your mercy. Uh, Lord, your hope and your, your, your joy in this world that others may come to realize and to see you, uh, Lord, through the transformation of our lives. Help us to be filled up that we might be ready to be poured out through this next year. And as we pray all these things, as we pray in the one who went before us, the one who is with us now, and the one who continues to live inside of us. In Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.